0: Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night, and we thank and praise you for your goodness and your grace to us. We just ask that you would take this service, and you would use it to encourage us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Pick your Bibles. And as we are going to study the book of Galatians, we need to stop first in the book of Acts. Acts chapters 13, 14, and 15 will give us... A background on the book of Galatians. The area of Galatia is modern-day Turkey. And this was uh, Paul's first missionary journey, the, the latter part of that journey. He started on the island of Crete. And, and uh, then we get to verse 14. It says, But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. That at Acts chapter 13, verse 14, and after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And then Paul begins his message about Jesus Christ. Now, Paul had... A a set pattern is he would go into the synagogue, usually uh, three Sabbath days or so, and reason with the Jewish people, and usually, as we'll look through these chapters very briefly, because we do want to get into the book of Galatians proper tonight, at least a few verses anyway, but... There became very apparently that uh, very apparent to all that were there, if they were going to continue in what Paul was teaching, they could not stay in the exact same tradition and learning of the synagogue. But why did Paul stop there first? Because those were the people that had the Bible. That's Romans one sixteen to the Jew. For, uh, not sixteen, but. Uh, Romans chapter 1, it says to the Jew first and also to the Greek, this was the pattern simply because the Jewish people had the Bible. They had studied the scriptures. They knew the promises of the Messiah. And Paul, in his early missionary journeys as he spent here, we're going to see that he visited these four cities in what we would call Galatia and in uh, months rather than years he had churches established in each one of these cities now there was a lot of persecution uh, we'll get down to the end of Paul's sermon here and uh, uh, let's uh, come down to uh, I'm sorry here uh, Just a minute. Ah, there we go. Verse 50. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. Now, what happened was... The Paul preached to the Jews and reasoned with the Jews and many of the Jews believed and then not before long he preached to the Gentiles the same message. The Jews were moved with envy that the Gentiles should have the same faith that they had that those people that they had spent their whole lifetime despising and see this is why we can understand that the Bible and the, Jew, the Jewish religion that belonged to the Pharisees was not in the Bible. The Bible never taught despising of people. It taught faith in God. And as the uh, Jewish people, when they heard this, they stirred up. Now, look who, who they stirred up. It says, the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city. Now, we have two groups here that are incredibly uh, different, one from the other. It says here that the devout and honorable women, these were women who were in the tradition of Judaism, in the tradition of the Pharisees, and then they stirred up the chief men of the city who would have been pagans, who would have had their own false religion. Now, one of the ways that you can always tell a key to false religion is who they're willing to join with or what they're willing to do to get their job done. And you'll find that These traditional Jewish people who were not willing to leave their traditions to believe in the Savior got anybody that they could. Later in Ephesus, they're going to... I'm not in Ephesus, but later in another city, they're going to hire lewd men of the baser sort to set the city in an uproar. They're going to do whatever they can. And one of the themes that we're going to see through the book of Galatians as we go through there is that the world is always willing to take a stand against the truth. But what you consider the world and what we consider the world and, and what is defined as the world through the book of Revelation, uh, Galatians is two different things. When we think of the world, we think of... The nightclub crowd, we think of the Broadway crowd, we think of the uh, 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 liberal and God-hating crowd and the atheists. But when the Bible talks about the world, it's talking about people who sincerely hold religious beliefs, but they're not connected to the Bible. They're beliefs that may even talk about God as these Traditional Jew, uh, uh, The traditional Jews who refused to believe the truth about Jesus Christ, they were excluding themselves from the covenant relationship with God. They were excluding themselves from salvation that God offered. And so, who were they joining now? They were joining the world. And... Paul is going to address this all the way through the book of Galatians until we get to the last part. And, and some of the most difficult verses to really understand as Paul is finishing up in the book of Galatians are related directly to this part of the fact that there are people out there who are very religious, who talk about God, who are unsaved, And are trying to make profit or trying to make disciples of people who are truly saved. Walk into a Christian bookstore, my friend. And look at all the books that are on there, on the shelves, trying to teach you how to be a real Christian written by people who aren't even saved. That was what Paul was dealing with here in the area of Galatia in Acts chapter 13. And these people persecuted him. They showed their true colors by chasing them out of town. And Paul's response was very biblical. Exactly what Jesus told the disciples to do. He shook the dust off his feet and he went into the next town. He didn't let it stop him. He didn't let it slow him down. And he's going to then go into the city of Iconium and we're going to see the same thing happen. It says, and it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews, now look what they did now, stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time, therefore, abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, in part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it, And fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycanea, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. So, we have this pattern going on. And you have to remember, these are cities in Galatia. This is the history of the founding of those churches. And part of the reason why Paul wrote the way he did to them. These churches were founded in persecution. They were founded in very difficult and dark days. Uh, There was active witness against the gospel of Jesus Christ in each one of these towns. And then we get to the most interesting one of all. He gets to the city of Lystra. And there was an impotent man there in his feet. He was lame. He was a cripple from his mother's womb. He had never walked. And Paul healed him. Now, Oliver Green says that there was a Greek uh, um, myth that said that Jupiter and Mercury had actually came to the city uh, of Lyaconia and had met, uh, disguised themselves and met some people from the city and gave them whatever they wanted. Now, I, I don't know. I haven't found that anywhere else, but I figured I'd just throw it out there. Uh, But the simple thing is, they looked at this healing, and they said, this healing could only come from God. Now, you know something? That's a pretty honest estimation of what happened, is it not? I mean, even the unsaved world get it right once in a while. The only problem was they had the wrong God's. Uh, they believed that the only gods that existed were their gods, and Paul began to explain to him, the the people in this city that there was a different god, that he was the creator, that he was the uh, ultimate god, that there was not, there were not many gods. You see, the word "god" means supreme being. Now, how can there be more than one? supreme being. It doesn't make sense. And of course, false religion cannot make sense because it leaves out the God of the Bible, the God who created everything. And all of a sudden, the message started making sense to these people. But to show how entrenched they were in the world, the unbelieving Jews from Iconium and And uh, Antioch come down and convince them that Paul is not from God, but he's from the devil, and they stone him. Some people believe that when Paul was speaking in Corinthians Corinthians of having ascended into the third heaven, that that's what he did when he was stoned, and that he actually had died, and God brought him back to life. Uh, No one's really sure on that, but it, it fits the circumstances, but as Paul was laying there on the ground, having been stoned, they left him for dead. They thought they got the job done. And as you know, it doesn't take a lot of stones to break bones and, and, and to do damage. It was a, a very horrible thing, but the Bible says that he got up. And they went to the next city. I I love the Apostle Paul. Nothing stopped him from doing what he was sent to do. He was sent to preach the gospel. They went to the next city, which is a city called Derby. And we come down here to verse 20. Howbeit the disciples stood about him. He rose up and came into the city, and the next day departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Now, look what they did. Confirming the souls of the disciples. Now, if you're going to confirm the souls of the disciples... You have to have something to confirm them too. There has to be people keep talking about, well, the church was a new thing and it's evolved over the centuries. No, the church was established by the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Paul left, he already had the set pattern for that church. There was no need to figure things out. There was no evolutionary process going on here. The determining marks of the true church of Jesus Christ had already been established. Faith had already been set. That's that's why they call it the Catholic faith, because it is according to the Catholic church. We call it the Baptist faith, because it's different. There are distinctives, there are distinctive doctrines that set us apart from every other religion. And Paul was already preaching them in Acts chapter 13 because they had already been practiced in Acts chapter 2. The only thing left was adding deacons in Acts chapter 6. And then Acts chapter 10, preaching the message to the Gentile, the keys of the kingdom that had been given to Peter were used. Opening the door of the gospel to the Jew, opening the door of the gospel to the Samaritan, the half-Jew, and then later on to in Acts chapter 10 to the Gentile world. And by the way, if you don't fit in one of those three groups... You're not a human being. Amen? Uh, you, you've got to be one of those three. And, and so most of us here tonight would identify as Gentiles. We, we are not of, the, uh, of Jewish heritage and, and, and that tradition. But the early church was a Jewish church because there were many people who, of the Jewish tradition who did not believe that their descension, their descendants from Abraham, uh, their physical heritage, gave them salvation. They did not believe that just because they followed the regulations of the Pharisees that they were righteous enough to please God. They had faith. The problem was, they didn't know the story of Jesus. And when Paul told them the story of Jesus, their faith that was in the temple and the sacrifices that were in there naturally fell into line with what Jesus had done as the one-time true sacrifice, and so their faith continued. We, I thought about naming the, our study in Galatians one Bible cover to cover because Galatians deals with that subject as thoroughly as possible, but. Here in the introduction, when we get down a few pages here, I mean a few verses into the book of Galatians, uh, Paul is going to explain to us something that God wants to do in the ministry of the church. But we first have Him confirming the souls here in Acts chapter 14 and verse 22, and then exhorting them to continue in the faith. So, not only did they have a set pattern, they had something to confirm to, something that was ordered and directed. They also had a clear path for the future. They had things that they were supposed to do. Uh, They didn't need additional revelation. They just needed to follow what they had. But it goes further, and it says that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not one of those guys that's just looking for trouble. Uh, I mean, there are just some people that just seem to love trouble. I mean, rain clouds follow them wherever they go. Uh, That's not true Bible Christianity, my friend. But if you're going to serve God... If you're going to do what's right, there's going to be opposition. There there is going to be trouble. There are people who are going to stand against you. Whether it's family members, whether it's friends. Someone said, what do I do with all my old friends every time I get with them? They start taking me back where I came from. I said, well, you get going to church every week. And you get love in the Lord and invite your friends to church. They'll either come with you and get saved or they'll think you're nuts and they'll leave you alone. Amen. Uh, there's there's going to be a separation. There's got to be. And one of the themes of the book of Galatians is you cannot have a relationship with God and a relationship with the world at the same time. It's not possible. You can't have what you had before Christ. One of the greatest problems for a person that has natural abilities and great talents is that when they get saved, they immediately want to use those talents for the Lord. I remember meeting a preacher. We, My wife and I were, uh, I think it was the summer before we got married. We weren't married yet, and I was traveling with her dad trying to help fix the... The, the new bus so that they could move into it. And, and uh, uh, the dad uh, asked, the, the preacher says, my future son-in-law here plays a saxophone. Would you like him to play in a service? He says, yes, I would love that. He said, I play the saxophone, but I only played in dance bands. And he said, nothing I can do. It all sounds like schmaltz. Uh, he said, it's no good. He said, I'd love to hear a sacred saxophone. And uh, so, we did and enjoyed it, and he enjoyed it. But sometimes when you're out there in the world, God doesn't want what you had before Christ. That's why it's called being born again. And so, he confirmed them in the faith. He gave them a path. He, He said, I want you to continue in the faith. He confirmed the souls of the disciples. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be trials. Now verse 33, I mean, 23 is so matter of fact that we skip over it. And when they had ordained them elders in every church now where'd that come from? Well, you see, that came from what they were confirming the souls to. That came from the faith that they were to continue in. You see, a church is not just an assembly. A church is an organized assembly, organized according to the biblical pattern. There's got to be somebody in charge. One of the clarion calls of our day is for a plurality of elders. In fact, uh, if you listen to Christian radio, you've heard of John MacArthur. And he is training preachers to go into Baptist churches and change the doctrine of that church. Uh, I'll tell you, it's it's a dishonest thing. They ordained elders because there's supposed to be somebody in charge. Now that I, I am not the vicar of Christ, neither is Brother Sutton here. We're not a substitute. We're, the technical term would be an under-shepherd. Uh, we're here to lead, but the way I love it is the body. That is how God explains His church. Have you ever gone anywhere? Don't know where that came from. If uh, Jesus is supposed to be the head. You know what the head does? It controls everything in your body. It tells how many times your heart's supposed to beat. It tells you all the things that your body is supposed to do. Without the brain, your body's dead. But without your liver, you only got about 24 hours. Without your heart, you've only got about 8 minutes. Without your lungs, somewhere around 10. I mean... Everything's kind of important. And God didn't want this idea of the first among peers thing. It's everybody has their part in the body and we function together to serve the Lord. And so he ordained elders in every church because every church is a complete picture of, A complete representation of what Jesus Christ wants to do with his church. And one day in heaven, we'll be together. But we're not there yet. And so until we get there, we have separate, independent, autonomous, local churches. Saying a local church is like saying wet water. It's not water if it isn't wet. Amen? Uh, it's the only kind of church there is, and these were the kind of churches that Paul started. And they, he would, later, uh, he would later write to these churches to try to help them and exhort them to do the very things, same things that he taught them when he was there on this first missionary journey. It was not new information in the book of Galatians. It was just a refining of things that they already had. And helping them to understand through the deceit of other men and through the trickery and the tribulation that they needed to just keep in the faith. And see, that's where the last part is. And had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they passed throughout Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga... They went down to Attila and thence sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the work of the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. So here we have the pattern. They were sent out of their local church. They started more local churches and they reported back to their local church. And people rejoiced in the message. And then we get to Acts chapter 15. Guess what? More problems. I mean, you read through the book of Acts. God did great things. Then there was problems. Then He did great things again. And then more problems. And this time, it was men that had come down from the church of Jerusalem and they were teaching that unless you were a full Jew and a full Christian at the same time, you couldn't be a full Christian. And so they... Quite a quite a disruption and. Of course, if you read any secular commentary or or denominational commentary, they love Acts chapter 15. It was the first church council. No, it wasn't a church council. They didn't come up with anything new. Read the chapter. They confirmed what was already there. They didn't need anything new. They needed to do what they were already doing. And James, when there was much contention and people said, well, they went up to Jerusalem because that's where the disciples were and that was the headquarters for the local church. and No, they went to Jerusalem because that's where the troublemakers were from. You see, the only way you deal with a troublemaker is you've got to go to the church they came from and get their pastor to deal with them. Because that's local church authority. I mean, the way our mission board works that we work with is, mission board doesn't do anything except count the money and send it out to the church, to the missionaries. But if that missionary does something wrong, that pastor had better get out there and solve the problem. Because that's his job. And you see, what we have here at the very beginning, at the earliest time in the history of the church, if you the history of the true church, is we have a set doctrine. We have a faith that could be continued in. We have ordained elders. We have a set organization. And we have a way to stay in that organization and keep going, that's prayer and fasting. And so this was all set up, and we have this problem in Acts chapter 15, and Paul's going to have to deal with these things that went on, because just because you stop the troublemakers at their source doesn't mean that they're not going to keep going. Now I don't know. I have no idea who's doing this, but every once in a while I saw a few on the ground the other day. Somebody's passing out Tony Alamo's paper again. And uh, if you don't know who he is, go thank you, Lord. I mean, if you look up the word "nutcase" in the dictionary, it'll have his picture there. Uh, he believes in a plurality of wives, like the Mormons in Islam does. Uh he believed he'll have a hundred scripture verses, every one of them taken out of context. Now, I don't know how you do that, uh, but he manages to get it done. I mean, every one of them. The only guy I know that's worse than he is is Harold Camping, was Harold Camping. And uh, so, some, but somebody is printing his paper. He printed it for 25 years out of a prison cell, uh, not because of religious persecution but because he had broken the laws of this country, both tax and polygamy and uh, and and other things like that. You know, the Bible says that the law is supposed to be a deterrent to evil. And uh, it was for at least a little while in Mr. Alamo's life, uh, but still publishes his papers. People still believe him. And that's why... I, I warn you you can you can go on the internet and let me tell you what you 'll find. If you look hard enough and long enough you 'll find somebody that already agrees with you that's not what you want. What you want is to make yourself agree with this book that 's what happened in Acts chapter thirteen and fourteen and fifteen. And when all the debating was done, let's just read this one verse here, and then we'll get into our study before we run out of total time. But uh, verse 13, And after they held their peace, all the debating was gone, all the testimonies were given. James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name, And to this agree the words of the prophet, as it is written, After this I will return, and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and will build again the ruins thereof. And I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. You know what James is doing right here? He's quoting scripture. See, that's always been the final authority for his church. And so, as James quotes the scripture and solves the problem, now we're going to get to the book of Galatians, which was written after all of these things came into being. Apparently, some of these we call, I'll call them Judaizers uh because they're not Christians, they're not Jews. Uh, they've developed their own tradition apart, completely set apart from the Word of God, because they deny the clear truths that the Word of God teaches, that Jesus is the Messiah of the Jews. And so, we get here to Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to try to get through the first five verses tonight. It says, Paul, an apostle... So Paul introduces himself as an apostle. If you go to the book of Galatians, I mean the Ephesians, it says there's apostles, there's prophets, uh, there's evangelists, and then there are pastors and teachers. And these are the people, the sum, that God has given His church. And Paul takes his title from the first in that list, apostles. Those were people who were personally trained by Jesus Christ. That's why there are no apostles today. Jesus isn't showing up to train you. Um, Different people down through the ages said, well, I I tried to believe in God, but he didn't reveal himself to me. My question always has been, well, my Bible is, uh, let's see, 1147 pages in the Old Testament, 348 in the New, added up. If that's not enough revelation for you, as Moses told the rich man who was in hell, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen to one who rose from the dead. This is God's revelation. This is where we need to go. And so we come here and Paul said, I'm an apostle. But I want you to understand something. I'm not of man. I am a man, but I wasn't made an apostle by other men. I didn't go and get trained by other men. He said, neither by man. There was no single man. One of the things that is always interesting is we in the West, we use the name Christ and it refers to only one person. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Even if people are cursing, they're referring to the Jesus of the Bible. But you get out of this part of the world. You go to India, there are literally thousands of men who claim that title Christ. Uh, In the Hindu religion, uh, they use the term the Anointed One. Well, that's what Christ means. The Chosen One. I never will forget when I was with Dana Dice and we were looking for a place to meet and uh, we ran into the rabbi actually down in Jamaica where his church is uh, we ran into the rabbi who had uh, officiated the sale of this building he said hey there's a synagogue over here you need to go see it and, and so we went to see it and it was a Hindu temple and uh, he looks at me and I look at him and I well oh, let's knock on the door and see what happens so we walk in and they ushered us in, and, and we told them what we were doing. They said, well, we'd have to think about that. And then we walked into the main auditorium. You ever seen that picture of the multi-armed God? Well, they had gone to some office supply store or something and got that thing printed on foam board. And then they took a knife and cut the head off, and got a picture of their guru who had died in 1917 and pasted his head on top of that statue. It was these... I mean, my hair still stands up on the back of my neck just thinking about it. And I said, I looked and, oh, we worship him. He is our leader. He is the anointed one. And that means Christ. The Bible said there'd be many of them. Dana looked at me, and I looked at him, and we got out of there as quick as we possibly could. Uh, there's no way you can preach the gospel in a building that's dedicated to that kind of stuff. And so, that's what the world, that's what they were up against. Paul says, listen, I'm an apostle. I'm neither of man neither of men i'm not of a group of men i'm neither by man i'm not a, from some guru but from jesus christ and god the father who raised him from the dead so paul says listen i am an apostle i am called by jesus christ and god the father he says the the faith that you call that we call the old testament And the New Testament is one faith, not two. Some people will get into this thing where Paul preached one gospel and Peter preached another gospel. Study what they preached. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Jew just had to believe Jesus was their Messiah. The Gentile had to understand this whole process. And, and learn about the sacrifices. That's why we need to study our Old Testament. Uh, the Old Testament is what makes the New Testament come alive in living color. And gives us a real understanding of why Jesus Christ had to die on the cross. People have asked that question, why did Jesus have to die? Well, if you start in Genesis chapter 1 and go the whole way through, there's no question as to why Jesus had to die. Because someone had to pay the price for sin. Paul said in the book of Romans, The wages of sin is death. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And that's why God the Father raised him up from the dead, proving, the words that are behind me, It is finished. Amen? And so now, Paul says... And all the brethren which are with me. Now he doesn't tell us which brethren those were. But he says, Listen, I'm not alone in this thing. People have often said, you know, well well, you you Baptists are kind of a new thing, you know, especially if you meet somebody that's Greek Orthodox. They they like to say, We're new and and uh I like to tell them, listen. If you go back before the Reformation, uh, there were three groups. There was the Eastern Christians, there was the Western Christians, and there was the hated Anabaptist. And if we we'll go back before the Great Schism of 1098, you only had two churches: the Orthodox and the Heretics. That was us, Amen. Because we refused to conform. But we didn't have to argue 500 years to figure out that Jesus was Christ. We, we didn't have to figure out and, and argue uh, about whether the church gave you baptism and saved you because Jesus did all the saving. Amen? And baptism comes after salvation, not before. And so we have this set doctrine that is already here. And Paul says, listen... There's a lot of other people that believe exactly the same thing and are practicing exactly the same thing that I've taught. And so, I am writing you under the influence and at the direction of God Himself and all the brethren. And we're writing unto the churches, those individual local churches that were established and running since Paul's first missionary journey, he visited them on his second missionary journey. And, and so we'll see that these churches were established, and now Paul is writing them once again. And we'll get to that next week in verse 6, Lord willing. And he says, Grace be to you and peace. This is Paul's standard greeting. Grace and peace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Tell you what, you're not going to get very far without grace. But we need peace. You know, if you have peace with God, you don't have to worry about who's at war with you. Who's standing in opposition to you. That's one of the characteristics that people have always judged us Christians absolutely crazy for. Because they say, listen, we're going to, in the Middle Ages, the inquisitors would come and they'd take your property and they'd take you and put you in a dungeon and torture you and say, we're going to do all these evil things to you if you you don't recant, if you won't rejoin the mother church. Well, there's no such thing as a mother church. It's Jesus' church. And these men and women died horrible, horrible deaths at the hands of religious people. The greatest horror stories are not in Hollywood. They're in church history. You read them. Well, don't read them. Just serve the Lord. Amen? And so, but I will tell you this before we keep, just to close out the thought, Romans chapter 8, we are more than conquerors. It's not changing society. That's not our goal. Our goal is to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're trying to do. Somebody said, well, we're losing all the battles. What are we supposed to do? You read the book of Revelation. Antichrist is going to take over. There's some things that have to happen before that can happen. And so, we, we see everything falling in place. But what we're supposed to do... Paul says, I want you to have grace and peace. And the only source of these is God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins... Here's the theme of our study as we go through the book of Galatians. That he might deliver us from this present evil world. I don't get this new Christianity. Where you have the world's music, the world's dress, the world's patterns. Because Jesus died to deliver us from that. He died to deliver us from this present evil world. He died to deliver you from your false religion and your traditions that you received from your parents and were handed down from generations. I remember one fellow, that he was actually of, a, of Jewish heritage, and he said, the only thing that's keeping me from getting saved is, he said, if I get saved, I have to admit that my mother and my father and my grandparents... And every relative I know is in hell today. And I had to tell him. But are you going to let their mistake destroy your eternity? And he got saved. Not right that day, but it took a while for him to come to grips with that. What you had before you got saved isn't going to help you after you're saved. you got to lay it aside. He came to deliver us from this present evil world. Why? Because that's God's will. According to the will of God the Father. Why is it God's will to deliver us from this present evil world? So that God can get the credit for the change in our life. I mean, that was the whole purpose of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and then later on we have NA and GA and all these different groups that are out there. They were founded because people who refused to get saved needed to get off alcohol and drugs too. And so they found a circuit that went around true faith in Jesus Christ That's what all those programs are about. And I'm glad for every person that stops drinking and stops gambling and stops doing drugs. But I'll tell you this, I wish they get saved. Because once they get saved, Jesus can deliver them. That's why He died on the cross. That's what the book of Galatians is about. Not only to deliver you from the sin that's in this present world, but to deliver you from tradition and to deliver you from the bondage of family and deliver you from the bondage of our society as a whole. We do not have to follow the world where they're going. Jesus died to make us different. And what is that difference going to bring? Tribulation. But what is tribulation going to bring? Patience, James chapter 1. I love patient people, but I sure hate when I have to be patient. How about you? Listen, we need God to do a work in our hearts and lives. And we're going to, Lord willing, over the next several months, go through the book of Galatians and see exactly what it means to be delivered from this present evil world. What it means to live a life that will bring glory to God the Father. Because that is what the purpose of our life in His church is. You see, the context is unto the churches. This is not talking about Lone Ranger Christians that are out there trying to solve all the world's problems on their own. This is talking about people who are living and serving Christ through an independent Bible-believing, and I believe it ought to have Baptist in the name Church. And all God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, we are starting a study of the book of Galatians. And Lord, this is not new territory. It's your Word. has been around for a long, long time. Well, Lord, I pray that we'd make this fresh and new study of this book and that you would help us to dig into the beautiful words that are in here and how that you have things in here to encourage us and keep us in the way that we should go. Lord, that we would recognize the pattern of your church and the way things ought to be. And, Lord, that you would be able to work right here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church to bring glory to God the Father through the lives of people who get saved and baptized and choose to serve the Lord right here. Lord, we ask you to do your work that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. And we'll just keep our heads bowed as the piano plays. If you need to slip out, spend a